Welcome. You are listening to Sunday Afternoon Films with me, Christopher Windsor, part of the Iconochromatic Podcast Network. Before I begin, I will warn you there will be spoilers about the film, so if you've not seen this before, I would recommend switching off, watching the film first, and then coming back and listening to this podcast. Other than that, enjoy the show. This week's film is from the year 2000, Boiler Room, a Wall Street drama about corruption and underhanded deals. Oh yeah. Boiler Room is a film which, to be honest with you, slips under the radar, I think, for a lot of people. When people saw Wolf of Wall Street, it was basically said that it was the Wall Street of the 21st century. And to be fair, that wasn't an unfair thing to say. But what this film is, was the Wolf of Wall Street of the 21st century before most of the Western world had even heard of Jason Belfort. Let's be honest, not a lot of people necessarily knew who he was. Boy the Room follows the main protagonist of Seth Davis. He is a teenager slash 20-something, you never really find out his actual age, who doesn't want to necessarily earn money or to gain notoriety by grinding. He wants to earn it as quickly and as easily as possible. You know, as Davis says, he doesn't want to be an innovator. He just wanted to be in. And to be fair, it's a very reasonable thing to say. And from my parents' generation, they could say that that is a gener- that is the attitude of the youth of today, making YouTube videos playing Call of Duty. There is money in that, but if you said that to a 70-year-old who worked 9 to 6 in an office 7 days a week, that you could make money just from playing video games, recording that, and putting it online, they probably either wouldn't believe you, or would find it borderline insulting. At the beginning of the film, Davis is running a poker game out of his living room. From what we can gather, he's making fairly decent money. But there's no doubt that what he's doing cannot last forever. And after a heated discussion with his father, who clearly who clearly he wants approval from, um, and a visit from one of Seth's friends, he is persuaded to come for an interview with a brokerage firm. When you see the interview between Seth and his father, it's a very heated debate. They discuss whether Seth has been going to college and it's discovered, no, I dropped out, Dad, I gave it a year, I didn't like it. So his father turns around and says, well, where have you been getting your rent checks from? Where have you been getting your money from? And he sets him up to say, well, what have you been doing? To which Davis turns around and says, I've been running a business. He says, what kind of a business are you running? You're running an underground casino to people of this community. You are making me look bad. And that, I think, is primarily what gets Seth into the business that he eventually gets into. After Seth has dinner with his father, he has a late night visit from an old friend of his who... We don't really know the background of. It's not really established. He just happens to know him. And a friend of the person who he eventually works for. And he says, you know, you can't be doing this for the rest of life. You know, you're going to get caught out eventually. Do you really intend to be doing this? Now, as much as I can see where this guy is coming from, and from his point of view, he's making an awful lot of money, Seth doesn't seem to be poor. And if he put his heart and soul into it, 
he could probably work for a very good casino somewhere either in New Jersey or in Las Vegas. He's not screwing his customers over. He is running a legitimate business. After the meeting with the two people from the firm that he eventually works for, he goes in for what could loosely be called an interview. It's not really an interview. He goes in, they're, said, the, they're told, this is what we expect, this is what you will be doing, this is how much you will be earning, and this is what you're going to have to do to earn it. See you on Monday, if you want this job. I'd love that sort of interview, I really would. As Seth starts to work at the firm, it's clear that what they're doing is not entirely on the up and up. The stocks they are selling, whilst not necessarily worthless, they're not ones that are necessarily touched by anybody else. They're not blue chip. They're not penny stocks. And what the firm are doing isn't entirely illegal, as is found out halfway through the film. They are doing something called bridge loans, bridge financing. Now, I'm not a stock advisor. I couldn't tell you exactly what a bridge loan or a bridge finance is, but effectively what it means is a company will buy these stocks, they'll keep it on the books, then they'll sell it to somebody else, and that's perfectly legal. However, in this film, to, they do this to raise the hype on the stock, and as is explained later on, but like I say, I'm not going to try and explain how because it is quite complicated, they're not doing it in the legal way and the way that they should be doing it. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. Seth takes a job at JT Marlin, and it's no coincidence that in this film that it's called JT Marlin. For those who've never heard of it, there is a company in New York called JP Morgan, who are one of the big boys, they really are. Um, if you paid attention to America over the past couple of years, you probably saw them floating around in regards to um, the market crash. I believe they were actually featured in the big short. And it's even pointed out in the film that they're a chop shop. They meet people from JP Morgan who say, oh, you know, you took our name and now you're trying to sound similar and you're trying to get in where we are. And... To be fair, that's a reasonable argument and a reasonable point to make. That is precisely why they're doing what they're doing. As Seth continues to work for the company, he does the lifestyle that he is afforded. He likes the money. He likes the lifestyle. He likes the people who seem to have the maxim of live fast, die young etched onto their brains. As is pointed out, they, they have all the money in the world, but they've got no idea what to do with it. Seth, however, seems to be a little bit more sensible than this. He doesn't just want to blow all of his money. He wants to he wants to save it. He wants to build on something. He seems to want a slightly more sensible life. And ultimately, to gain his father's respect. That is what he is striving for. And he is enjoying it, but what changes all of this, however, and what ultimately is Seth's downfall, is when he speaks to somebody named Harry Renard one day. Harry Renard is the linchpin. He is the moral centre of this film, ultimately. He sells a piece of stock to Harry with the promise that this is going to make him rich. He's going to get rich. Guaranteed. Honestly, we will not fail. 
give me your trust, give me your benefit, I'll make you rich. It needed this character. This is an incredibly important character at this stage in the game. Harry. And initially, the stock looks like it's doing incredibly well. Harry rings up one day and says, Why has the stock gone down so badly? What are we going to do, Seth? Seth says, Don't worry. We expected this. It's going to bounce back. You just have to give me time. You just have to trust me on this. Harry doesn't believe him and says, I want to sell. Seth turns around and says, you want to make money by selling low? You know, no, you can't do this. This is ridiculous. And persuades him to stay within it. He calls again, says, I want out. And he won't do it. And that is the key thing to this company. They are able to sell to people who never asked for this, didn't want it to begin with, and yet they get them along in the hype. There's a wonderful scene between one of the main characters, Chris Marlon, played by Vin Diesel, where he's got him on the phone on a loudspeaker and he's he does this wonderful pitch. I don't want to continue to go back to the Wolf of Wall Street, but really, I think this is to an extent better than the Wolf of Wall Street. He goes to see his father for assistance out of getting out of the firm, because he realises that things aren't quite right, as we say. But ultimately, he wants to make some money out of it. He goes to his father, who's a state judge, and basically says, look, Dad, help me out. Let's go on in this together. We can make some real money. We can do something good with this. But his father turns around, who is a high judge, and says, No, I could lose my judgeship over this. Which, to be fair, he could quite easily do. And I can understand what Seth is trying to do here. But he really does put his father in a very bad position. And he says... Get out. I don't want to see you. You work in a chop shop. I don't want to see you at the house. I never, I never want to have anything to do with you ever again. Seth decides he wants to go through with the IPO scam anyway. Because, well, mainly because he's got nothing left. He has no money. He has no prospects. He has no education. He's got to do something. And so he goes ahead the IPO scam. At the same time, it's discovered by his arrest by the FBI that they have been tapping the phones of Seth at JT Marlin and bring it in. At the same time, they bring Seth's father in and it points out he's got nothing to do with this. However, on a previous occasion, between Seth and his father, it said, look, I can't do this IPO scam with you, but I can at least help you do it so you won't get caught. And that is the conversation the FBI pick up on. As a result, to save his father, in a very admirable way, Seth makes a deal with the FBI, stating he can sell it as employer. He can tell them everything they don't know. He can tell them where to look, he can tell them where the money is. He can tell where they hide. He can blow the whole thing out of the water. With a proviso, his dad goes out of the door, 
is taken out of the equation and is never looked into again. The FBI agrees to this and asks him to get certain files and certain documents from the office. He goes in like it's everyday normal and makes one final play. He gets all the documents he needs and goes into the office of his boss and says, look, Harry Renard has lost all this money. He's a whale. He's got all this money. Let's show him a bit of kindness and let's get him his money back. It's agreed he may sell it, but not within 90 days. Seth goes to the one person in the entire film that he's able to um, trust in Chris and says, can you please help me sign this off? And he says, why can't anyone else do it? It says, Chris, the FBI are about to raid the place. We need to leave now. Seth walks out of the office after warning Chris and the FBI show up and start raiding the place. And the film ends with Seth reflecting on everything that we've seen. What if he hadn't gone to the office to begin with? What if he hadn't answered his door? What if he'd done this? What if he'd done that? And what was he going to do now? Well, it's quite simple. He needs to get a job. In my opinion, there's a lot to love about this film. As I said in my recent review of The Accountant, I think Ben Affleck is a good actor. And he's an actor who gets an awful lot of stick. I've not mentioned his name up until this point because he doesn't really play a major role. Certainly not as major as in Jersey Girl, Dogma or any other films. But what he does get are very good lines that are wonderfully delivered. And when he gives speeches, you know why he's good at his job. To steal a line from Thank You For Smoking, you know that guy that can pick up any girl? That's me. On crack. And that's the athlete character. He is that confident. He is able to turn any situation the way that he wants it to be. In terms of other characters, I've never been the biggest fan of Vin Diesel. I don't think he's a good actor. Confident? Yeah, I'll give you that. But good at acting? No, I'm not sure that he is. And to be fair, this is the one film I've seen him that I actually liked him in. Maybe it's because he was showing a softer side of him, a funnier side, that was genuinely entertaining. But he endeared himself to me an awful lot. And to be fair, I'll at least give him that credit. That he does this very well. Some of the film, well, actually, a lot is very contrived. The speed in which Seth works everything out is a little too quick. and There are some holes, and if they're properly investigated, I can't ever feel that the film would have been shut down very quickly. They might have someone on the inside working for them, but I think they would get shut down. What's also good about this film is that there are subtleties that I didn't necessarily pick up on to begin with. And the main one is when Ben Affleck is giving the interview to getting trainees. And he asks every single one of them, do you have a, ser a Series 7 license? That is someone who can broker stock. And someone puts on their hands and says, yep, I'm a Series 7 license broker. And he's told to get out. The, expo the explanation is said... We don't hire brokers in this firm, we're training new ones. 
Which is fair. You know, if that's how they're running their business, where they want to train people from the ground up to, you know, to do things how they want to mould people, that's understandable, because I've seen that in a lot of jobs. In reality, what's happening here is they're avoiding bringing someone in who knows the legal side of things and knows how it works and doesn't want coming in and saying, hang on, what you're doing here is incredibly illegal. The thing that I love about the film is I don't ever get bored of, bored of this film. It's a film that I came across by accident many years ago, and I've loved it till this day. Yeah, it has things that are unrealistic. Yes, it has elements that don't make sense. And I think it does represent a portion of 20-somethings who want to get rich, don't know what to do with their money, and don't know what responsibility is, and either don't know how or don't want to grow up. For a lot of Generation X, such as myself, I think this is a reality. We are of that generation where we were wasting a time where it wasn't an especially good period. It's not especially good now, but really, people of my age, we are in so much trouble through no fault of our own. Because of how things went in the 90s. And indeed the early 80s. This has been Boy the Room. Thank you for listening. This has been Sunday Afternoon Films with me, Christopher Windsor, on the podcast network Iconochromatic. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.